0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Animal Files Podcast. We got another good one for you. Last week, we talked about a bunch of questions that you should be asking yourself when purchasing or making products for your animals. Well, take those questions and bring it into this week because we're going to talk about pet trends of 2022, some of which May be continuing this year in 2023. So grab your notebooks, get those questions in your head, and uh, let's get this going.
1: I think this is going to be an interesting conversation.
0: I like interesting conversations. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So do you guys have any guesses as to what some of the top trends are from 2022 to potentially
0: into this year? I know I don't because I haven't been paying attention. I know there's a few that are like questionable. (laughs) Let's talk about those.
1: (laughs) Well, today we're going to share with you top pet trends that are probably going to surprise you in some regards, but it might also possibly cause you to go Oh, yeah, I can see why that's become a top trend. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Have I piqued your curiosity yet?
0: Mine is. (laughs) So let's
1: start with the first one, tools and products for separation anxiety in our pets.
0: Should I keep my comments to the end? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Never mind. Never mind. I will not. It's a thing. It's a thing. And when there's a thing, people are going to try to make money on it. So I'll keep my opinions to myself. Okay.
1: Well, before we actually get into the tools and products and services that are out there, I think it's important that we address that there is a generalization in that any anxiety is thought of as separation anxiety. There seems to be a lack of understanding around the behaviors that can be associated with any of the types of anxieties, which can ultimately lead to inappropriate reactions or tools, such as, you know, possibly ignoring your pet when coming or going using barking collars, or maybe crating.
0: Yep. It's just (laughs) stress learn how to communicate with your animal and learn their communications and maybe might save you some money. Hmm. Just saying.
1: So let's talk about the difference between separation anxiety and generalized anxiety. Separation anxiety is not simply attention seeking, which is what a lot of people seem to think. It's, oh, well, if I ignore that behavior, then they'll just stop doing it it doesn't work that way with separation anxiety. What separation anxiety actually is, is a hyper attachment to a specific person. So when that person is not around, the animal actually goes into kind of like a panic mode. So that person could have their partner still stay with the animal. It could have their children or friends still stay with the animal. And that animal that pet is still going to feel that separation anxiety because that person that they've developed that high attachment to is not there.
0: Yeah, it doesn't sound very healthy, does it?
1: No. So if you want to learn a little bit more about separation anxiety, you can go to the website www.rover.com/ca/blog/separation-anxiety-dogs-happen. And of course, we'll put this in the show notes because I know that that's going to be too much to try to remember. (laughs) (laughs) So you probably already know that there's already a lot of different options out there, including medications, supplements such as CBD, exercise, toys, puzzles, various gadgets and tech, working with various specialists such as animal behaviorists and animal communicators, etc. But are they all they're cracked up to be?
0: If you are medicating your dog and not open to trying to fix the problem, then you're doing it a service to you and your animal. Mm -hmm. I mean, CBD, exercise, all that stuff's good stuff because, I mean, people like us, we need that. But medications, I don't know. If you're medicating your dog while you're at work, there's, there's something that is missing right there. Mm -hmm. My opinion.
1: I personally believe that medications and supplements are something to be used as a last resort if nothing else is working, or at least only on a short-term basis, because side effects are a very strong potentiality. I agree. CBD is not something that I Necessarily, highly support at this point because it's a very new product that is being used in animals and very little is known about the long term effects in them. So, we really don't know how this product really affects animals. It seems like it's having, you know, doing good things without any side effects, but at this point, we don't really know for sure. So, I'm a little bit hesitant to just Be like, oh yeah, okay, give your pet CBD. It'll help them with the pain. It'll help them with the anxiety. It'll help them with whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if you do choose to use it, make sure you don't use too much. Mm -hmm. Animals are much more sensitive than humans are to certain things. And if you're putting something in their body that they are not used to having in their body, you start slow. I have seen animals really benefit from it but I've also seen animals that it does nothing for. And I'm sure there are animals out there that do very poorly on it. So you have to look at every situation and every animal as an individual. I know we say that like a broken record here on the animal files, but you have to treat every animal as an individual, just because your friend uses CBD with wild success does not mean you are going to have that same success. You may not have nothing and you just may be wasting your money.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's still not treating the root problem. Exactly. If we rely on allopathic medications, so these are the medications that your vet will prescribe like anti-anxiety meds and things like that. If they are given on a long-term basis, they will have negative side effects of some sort. Mm -hmm. It might be minor in some cases, it might be more severe in other cases. But the problem with allopathic medicines is they are not created with balance.
0: No, they are not. They treat one thing at the expense of something else. Exactly. That's just how they're designed. That's not conspiracy theory. It's just the way they work. They see Mm -hmm. an issue, they figure out how to fix that problem, but they're not fixing the root. So you're not getting that holistic balance. It's fixing the one thing at the expense of something else.
1: Mm -hmm. That's not to say that allopathic medications are evil. They do have their place, but ultimately none of the allopathic medications ideally should be something that we, any of us are on long-term human or animal. Agreed. Yeah. And of course we understand that you don't want your pets to suffer, but as we said, we also need to consider what is actually the root cause of the anxiety or their separation anxiety. Can it be eliminated or at least reduced with other methods that could end up having a negative effect? Because Maybe we simply just want to take the easy route. Yeah.
0: I mean, I had two cats with separation anxiety and we had to deal with it. We ended up having to travel with one of them. But what I did is I tried to figure out what was causing, what started it, you know, like I couldn't put my shoes on in the house. So I would Mm -hmm. just modify my behavior to curb their behavior. And then when I would come home because they would get Scared. It was very strange. I don't know whether it was they scared or they mad at me or something, but I would just sit there and hold space for them. Like literally, I would sit on the couch. They'd be behind the couch, and I just would radiate love off my body. Would and I would just say, "You're all fine. You're fine. You're okay. You're okay," and that over the years definitely helped to curb that. I never had to medicate my animals. Even when I took Maisie on her trip, we did not have to medicate her for the plane. We didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't have to worry. You know, I mean, there's a couple little snafus, but it's a process. And using your knowledge of how your animal is trying to communicate and learning other points of views on what your animal is trying to say will help you curb your behavior to help curb their behavior mm-hmm. if that makes any sense you don't have to go right to medication right there are things that you can do sometimes you may not get rid of it all the way mm-hmm. i mean i maybe i would have of over time i didn't have that opportunity but It takes time and it takes diligence to work with your animal to figure Mm -hmm. out the root cause. Instead of saying, here's a bandaid, let me put it on you and let's forget about it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It's not healthy for you and your relationship with that animal. And it's definitely not healthy for the animal.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, what you, what you're saying is great. And I think it's just important to add that, you know, we want to support our animals, our pets to, be able to try to move through that feeling of anxiety without coddling them. We don't want to encourage the behavior. We want to support them to hopefully move out of it.
0: Yeah, because the only way for them to get better is then have them work it through. They have to process it themselves and you need Mm -hmm. to support them while they process it and help them see that there is a Healthier way, and you need to take on that responsibility.
1: Mm -hmm. So, we did start talking about the different types of anxiety, and we already said that separation anxiety is when an animal, a pet develops a hyper attachment to a single person. And there can be milder versions of this, which can be referred to as isolation distress.
0: I think that's what my cats are really suffering from most. Yeah
1: the isolation distress. Yeah. Yeah. So with the pandemic, there may have been an increase in the development of separation anxiety in our pets because people, you know, maybe you were home a lot more with your pets and your pets started to develop a stronger attachment to you because you were there a lot more often. And if you suddenly left and you started going back to school or started going back to working outside the home, this may have caused some separation anxiety in your pets. But as I said before, with the separation anxiety, because it's an attachment to a single person, this can develop even if they are not left alone. They can still go into that panicked mode. It's kind of like a panic attack that. Humans can have, which if you've never had a panic attack, it's probably hard to relate to what that feels like. I think I've had it once, but it's it's not fun. It's not fun. And it can create a variety of different behaviors. Generalized anxiety, on the other hand, is something that is caused more by changes that occur in your pet's routine or environment. Especially when we don't provide them with the support they need to adjust to those changes. So, this could occur if your schedule for feeding, walking, or when you come home changes. This could occur if you move to a new location, or if somebody else moves in or leaves, or there might be a new addition through birth. These can all create a feeling of anxiety in your pets. It can also develop from past trauma and also be a response to your own energy. So we can actually create anxiety in our pets. Oh, very easily. There are a few other potential causes of anxiety that are probably not looked at as much that it could be anxiety that is actually genetic in certain breeds and they are more prone to reacting when exposed to certain triggers, such as loud noises. It could be as a result of maternal stress, because if the puppy or kitten's mother is feeling stress, that can have an effect on their development and potentially lead to anxiety
0: later in life. That sounds common to us humans. That happens yeah. a lot with us. Right.
1: hmm And another cause of anxiety is that if you don't at all socialize or you don't have proper socialization of your pets, that can also lead to anxiety.
0: Yeah, it's actually a real thing. And I I don't know, I just kind of want to add that anxiety is when we worry about the what ifs. So Mm. if you take that and put it to your animal, now granted, they're not thinking the way we do. But if you have an animal that has anxiety, And they're left alone. My cat, I think, was more isolation anxiety because if my husband was home and I was gone, they'd be fine. Mm. But if we were both gone, that was a problem. They didn't like that. But their brains do not understand that you're going to be back. Until they learn that you're not going to abandon them, their brains only see the emptiness. So you have to look at it that way. So what I have done over the years is I have trained my animals to know that when I say I'm going to work or I'm going to the store, that they knew that that meant I'm coming back. That was my Mm -hmm. way. Like I literally told them, mama's going to the store right now. I will be back. And over the years, they knew that just because mom was leaving did not mean I was going to be left alone. Mm. So you have to look at it through their eyes. They don't have the same cognition that we as humans do. So when an animal is worried about the what ifs, they are Mm -hmm. thinking you're abandoning them.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. You know, and not to bring this down, but at the recording of this, uh, podcast um, I lost Maisie so Maisie is now with her brother Frankie um, I no longer have a cat and so I didn't have a lot of time to figure out how to manage her anxiety but we got her to a point where it was handleable and trained her to understand that when we left we were coming back so they And now dogs are a little bit different because dogs find security in their people. So with that thought that the what-ifs, the dog is now seeing that their connection to their human is gone. That creates anxiety. For a cat, the environment has changed. I am now isolated. I have anxiety. So look at it from that perspective. They're not saying, oh, okay, well, mom goes out every time at eight o'clock. I know she's going to be back at five. Dad goes out at 12 and comes back at seven. They don't have that cognition until they learn that. And that's up to you to help them through that because at their core, they just feel abandoned. And there's where that anxiety comes because that what if in doggy brain and kitty brain, is abandonment. Mm -hmm. So look at it from that perspective. I know before Maisie passed, we got her, like she went on her vacation. She took a plane flight. She did everything. She had new experiences and she, what was the first time that we took her away that she was not petrified when we left the apartment and then came back. So we had gotten her to a point where she knew that we were never going to leave her, but Mm. that took time. That took time. She was three and a half when she passed. So it took three and a half years to get her to that point. So you have to give your animal grace and even the humans in your life that deal with anxiety. Mm -hmm. You may not understand why they have the anxiety. It's up to you to try to understand what you can do to support. Mm. That's it. So I just wanted to bring that in and just to let the people know that we probably will not be talking about Maisie in the present tense anymore because she is past, she passed on Easter night of lymphoma. She succumbed to her FELV. So, but I did want to bring that because they, both her and her brother had a lot of anxiety. They were pandemic cats and they were heavily bonded to my husband and myself. And so we had to do an awful lot of work to navigate and work through that and to find the source because we never wanted to drug our animals. We never wanted to just put a bandaid on it. We wanted to fix it. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. It's a big Mm. deal. A lot of animals deal with anxiety yes, and we need to understand it more.
1: And a lot of it is probably as a result of being in part of the human world. I don't know how prominent it is in the wild. World, there probably still is some anxiety that occurs there too, but I think it's going to be different. Separation anxiety is probably not so much a thing.
0: Yeah, I would think that survival overpowers the need for separation yeah. anxiety in the wild. Yeah. I think that's a purely human created condition.
1: Right. So if we're not going to rely on medications and supplements, well, what other options do you have? One Plenty. of the things. Is,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, we've already, we have already shared with you some possibilities. So you could look for a reputable professional, such as an animal behaviorist or an animal communicator. And we emphasize reputable because this is not a regulated industry. So there can be people who could claim that they're animal behaviorists, claim that they're animal trainers, claim that they're animal communicators who just don't know what they're doing.
0: Or they think they know what they're doing and they're so far off the mark.
1: Yeah. Or there could be the other side of it too where it's all about profit and they're just really pretending to know what they're
0: doing. (laughs) But I promise you, there are many out there that are solid, Mm -hmm. reputable, and honest practitioners. And if you go back through our other episodes, we've actually spoken to several so mm-hmm. you can go to our website, the animal And we have some resources there And you can go through and listen to other podcasts of our interviews that we've had our TAF interview series. You'll see a whole bunch.
1: Mm-hmm. And these professionals can greatly assist you in discovering what the root cause actually could be. And this will avoid placing your animals on any unnecessary medications and supplements. Though, again, we said, you know, you might choose to use these in the short time to provide some support if the condition is severe. If it's not severe, you can probably just tolerate it and your animal can probably just tolerate it until you can get them the help that they need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, not to bring it down again, but when Maisie was in hospice, I was actually working with a communicator, energy practitioner, and she was helping me um, navigate because I was too close to the situation. I was in mommy mode. I was in hospice mode. I was doing everything I can to keep her comfortable. She did not want to go to the vet. There was a lot of anxiety there every time I brought it up because we wanted to be humane. We wanted to make sure Mm -hmm. that she was comfortable and and all that. And working with that practitioner really helped me understand because I may be a communicator or translator, but when you're that close to it, it's really hard to see things objectively. So mm-hmm. having that different perspective allowed me to do the things that Maisie needed to maintain her stress levels and her anxiety levels. Because her lymphoma was causing her to have shortness of breath. And that was freaking her out. And then the idea mm. of having to go to the vet was even, there was a lot of fear around just driving. And if you've listened for a long time, you know, my vet is 45 minutes away from my house. So I was not going to put her in a crate where she couldn't move around to get comfortable to drive 45 minutes to, you know, euthanize her. That just Mm -hmm. wasn't going to happen, especially when she felt that she was going to beat it up until two days before she ended up passing. But yeah, working with the communicator helped me to navigate her anxiety and her stress so I can do what was best for her. Mm. So I highly recommend if you have an animal who is anxious, has a lot of stress, that you find a way to find a reputable communicator and work with them because they can give you insight that you being the the pet parent may not see because you're too close to it because it may be you like I literally had to detach myself energetically um, during those last two weeks so I can better help her because my stress was making her stressed. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a lot of work. I had to take the responsibility on myself to chill things down so I can give her the best opportunity to you know pass on her terms without her suffering in any way shape or form so i would definitely recommend finding a reputable communicator professional translator behaviorist to you know Mm -hmm. work with your animal instead of trying to fix your animal if that makes any sense
1: Mm -hmm. and i just want to do a like a quick differentiation between an animal behaviorist and an animal trainer. We've talked about it in the past, but the difference is that an animal behaviorist is trained to actually understand the animal's behavior and why they are behaving in a certain way. An animal trainer is not trained for that. They are trained simply to teach your animal to behave in a certain way. So if you're training your animal to behave in a certain way without understanding why they're behaving in the way they're behaving beforehand, that can cause problems. You might find that some people have both, they're both an animal trainer as well as a behaviorist. So if you're looking for the root cause, you want an animal behaviorist, not an animal trainer. So there has been some new research found about separation anxiety in that it is not just simply a mental health issue. And you can find information about this at www.sciencedaily.com. What this article suggests is that separation anxiety should actually be viewed more like an upset tummy where the treatment or solutions are going to vary greatly depending on the root cause. So they're saying separation anxiety, but I would say this would be for separation anxiety as well as generalized anxiety because the root cause can vary quite a bit. And why do they say to view it more like an upset tummy? Well, an upset tummy can be caused by just eating something that isn't good for you or that your pet eats that isn't good for them. It could be caused by an infection or it could be caused by something entirely different. So you might have one situation that might require just some monitoring and waiting it out. You might have another one where it requires surgery if it's severe. Or you could have another situation that requires antibiotics.
0: This goes to show you, look at your animal as an individual, find the mm-hmm. root source. That's the most important part.
1: And then choose the most appropriate treatment. Mm-hmm. So it's just really important for us to investigate beyond just the label of separation anxiety and dig a little bit deeper. Some of the professionals you work with might suggest things like using desensitization or counter conditioning. But these are training methods that should only be used when the root issue has been determined and you truly understand how and when to use these methods.
0: That's the most important part. No band-aids here. Stop looking for band-aids. An animal is not a robot. You can't just program them to do what you want. You have to work with them like you would work with a fellow human because they, they are sentient. They need support, energetic support. They need personal support. They need emotional support and mental support. No band-aids. Don't even try to think you can flip a switch to fix your dog or your cat.
1: Mm. So we have a couple of other areas that you can use to try to support your animals. These could help to reduce stress. They could also help to maintain a level of calm instead of increasing their stress.
0: Yeah. And these, going back to our topic of pet trends, some of these are very trendy, but you need to take the questions that we had in last week's episode to figure out what tools can help you with the separation anxiety. Because this is a big Mm -hmm. thing. This is why we're spending so much time on anxiety, because Mm -hmm. it is a common thing in today's world. Our world is far too fast for our animals. And we have a whole ton of animals out there that are dealing with anxiety and stress. This is why it's really important. So just to hearken back to the pet trends, some of these tools that can help with the separation anxiety, use those questions to help you choose the best one for your particular animal Mm -hmm. and their particular situation.
1: So you might find using certain exercises, toys and puzzles can potentially be really helpful depending on what the root issue is. The benefits could include things like tiring your pet out physically and mentally, mentally stimulating them to prevent boredom or directly engaging with them through interactive games. But note, these are not going to work for separation anxiety because they don't address the hyper-attachment of your pet between you or someone in your household. Yep. Same with using tech and various tech and gadgets. These can be helpful for generalized anxiety, but they're not going to work for separation anxiety. Separation anxiety is something that is most likely going to need professional assistance.
0: And that includes those cameras that people put in their house, those tech cameras, where you can talk to your dog from the office, that's not going to help their separation anxiety. That actually might make it worse because they don't understand why you're not in the Mm wall. Again, you have to look at things through the animal's eyes. So you think you're doing something good by getting one of these tech cameras in your home that you can talk to your animal and give them treats. That's probably not going to be the best solution For separation anxiety, it just might crack their boredom a little bit, but they're Mm -hmm. not going to understand, like I said, why you're not in the wall. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds silly, but they don't know, oh, daddy's calling me from the office. They don't think like that. (laughs) They're like, why are they in the wall? Why aren't they with me playing with me? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Or why are you there for a few minutes and then you disappear?
0: (laughs) Exactly. You're just going to make the separation anxiety worse. If you think that these trendy gadgets are going to help your animal, if they are dealing with true separation anxiety.
1: I am also going to just add in another product. This is not a tech gadget thing, but it is something that tends to be commonly used to try to deal with separation anxiety. And that is crating there are so many people who resort to crating as a way of trying to deal with separation anxiety. And that is probably one of the worst things you can do as well because that is going to make it worse. It's basically like punishing them for having a panic attack. So you never want to use a crate as a place that they get locked into. It really should only be used as kind of like a den sort of place a place where they can feel safe and they can go in and out of as they choose not something that they get locked into there
0: may be times when you have to lock them in and i want to address this a little bit because i know there are people out there and i've even said it i think creating your dog when you have a large house when you are not home might be safer for them but that's because they can get into trouble they can rip apart couches they can rip over anything and The stress of being in a large space can amplify things. If you pay attention to your animal, and this is where you want to work with your animal, crate should never be a punishment. But if you have trained your dog to know daddy's going to work, mommy's going to work, time to go to bed, and I'll see you in a little bit. If you train them to know that, they will walk into the crate themselves and they'll just lay down and go to sleep. Because that's just what they've been trained to do. It's safer for them in a lot of ways, especially if you have a large house. Any animal that has a large territory to monitor is going to have more stress. Hmm. That's just how it is. You're never going to find a non stressed tiger because it got 200 miles to monitor. You're never going to find a non stressed wolf because they got miles and miles of territory to monitor. Your house is going to be their territory. So they have a lot of spaces and a lot of things that they have to keep an eye on. They're going to be more stressed. So as you are properly properly raising and training your animal. You can get them to a point where their crate will be their safe zone. So they know Mm -hmm. that when mommy and daddy are at work or we go to the store and I can't come with them, that this is where I'm going to stay and I'll just take a nap. And Mm -hmm. so it keeps them safe. So you never want to use it as a punishment. You never want to, when you're home, you never lock them in their crate when you're home. That's rude. Mm -hmm. That's just flat out rude. Because if they're misbehaving when you're home, you're the problem. No offense, but it's the truth. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So never lock them in if you are home. But if you have to. Lock them in a crate. Make sure you properly crate train so they know that when they go into this crate, it is not a punishment. It is a safe zone Mm. where they can feel protected and they can feel safe and they can take a nap and not have to worry about anything. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: I would agree with that. I was thinking more along the lines of the people who try to force their pets into the crate. Oh, yeah. Don't do that. Like I said, that's that's rude. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And it's kind of going against their will. It's like, if you train them so that they don't fear the crate or have any kind of aversion to it, then if you get them to the point where they're willing to go in when you're going to leave and they know, okay, you know, this is just going to be my time to just be quiet and sleep. That's okay. But again, that's not really going to work if it's separation anxiety, because even if you train them they're going to still probably go into that panic attack, even if they view their crate as a safe place. Yeah,
0: I would argue that if you are properly training your animal, your animal is just naturally not going to have separation anxiety because they've learned over the course of time. But it is definitely not going. Separation anxiety is a very different type of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Very different. It needs a different approach.
1: So let's get back to the tech and the gadgets. There's a couple products out there that sound like they are good products and that is iCalm Pet and Pet Acoustics. These are gadgets which can help soothe your pets with music and you know you might think oh I'll just put music on or I'll just put the tv on or something like that when I go just so that there's noise and that will help my pet feel like they're not alone. It's not just noise that they need. This music is specifically created music to help calm their nervous system. There is a doctor by the name of Alfred Tomatis who discovered the extraordinary powers of sound as a nutrient for the nervous system and helped redefine modern psychoacoustics, which is the study of the effect of music and sound on the human nervous system. So if you think of, test it out for yourself, if you're feeling nervous or anxious or anything like that, and you play some rock and roll, how calm does that make you feel as opposed to playing something like maybe a classical music or something with more of a a calming.
0: I think that depends on the person classical music does not calm me down, but rock and roll will, but it depends on the type of music. I think, again, we have to look at everything from an individual perspective, but from my own personal experience dealing with two cats that were very anxiety prone frequencies, like the Sofascio frequencies were my best friend. Mm-hmm. And there is one band that I found, an Icelandic band that I found that I would play that all the time. And it was the music that I played in my car when I would take him to the vet. It worked really good. That band is mm. Ars Tither from Iceland. And it was an incredible type of music. It wasn't classical, it wasn't rock, it was kind of like folky, chill. Beautiful music, mm. but there was a frequency behind that as well. So I used yeah. both the Sofeggio frequencies and I used the Ars music, and yeah. both of those things combined is what created this really nice energetic environment for them. So when we would leave, those things would be playing. When we would be driving in the car, those things would be playing. It really works. Mm. Sound therapy for humans and animals is a real deal. I don't Mm -hmm. understand it 100%, except for like if you go with the law of residence, quantum physics and stuff like that but it works and it works really well on animals because they're very in tune to those energetics
1: mm-hmm. yeah like i think you know whether it's sulfeggio frequencies or not because all music has a certain level of frequency of some sort yeah but not all frequencies are going to be beneficial now there are some frequencies that are going to create more anxiety and others that are going to have more of a positive effect on the nervous system
0: yeah And another little thing, when I was doing hospice care with Maisie because she had cancer, I found a frequency that specifically was shown to break down cancerous tumors. It was the worst thing for her. She was so anxious. I had to like, it took me a little while to figure it out that that was, it was causing her anxiety, but I had to completely changed the frequency. And once I changed it to a different one, she just calmed right down. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you have to, again, individuals, you have to go like, you know, take yourself. You may be like my mother. She, we use frequencies all the time in in our our family. So my mother, I use 174 Hertz for pain management. My mother was trying that and it was just too low for her. She felt better in the higher frequencies, like 634, 735, whatever those, those higher ones. Mm -hmm. So she's different. She can't be Mm -hmm. in these low ranges where I feel most comfortable. I also can't stay in the high frequencies because I get uncomfortable if they're too high. So you have to pay attention to your animal. You have to pay attention to yourself and figure out what your animal works With My animals use 741 most of the time, and it was a very calming one, 528 or 741. Those were the two that they liked. So Mm -hmm. you have to play with it. But frequencies are a real thing. Every sound has a frequency.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed even for myself that when I'm listening to music, because I'll usually listen to music, like I usually listen to self-agio frequencies throughout the day on low so mm-hmm. it's it's in the background i'm not really focused on it but after i finish my day and i'm just sitting and relaxing and reading my book i usually like to listen to some other type of relaxing music mm-hmm. but my mood Or how drained I feel from the day seems to impact the kind of music I want to listen to. Yeah. Because there are some music where I might like it on a certain other day, and other days it's overstimulating for me, and I need to have something that is really, really soft. Yeah. So maybe that could have an impact on your animals as well, that there could be some variation that they might respond positively to something one day and maybe, you know, depending on how overstimulated or something like that, they might have become during the day.
0: Yep. It's a real thing. And it's definitely something that you can use as a tool. And this is one of those trends that I'm like 100% for is using these sound acoustics for anxiety. 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm.
1: Just another addition is that there's a lady by the name of Janet Marlowe, who leads breakthrough research in a new field of understanding of how environmental sounds and animal acute hearing affects behavior. So you can find more information about those two products. I, I mentioned the iCalm pet and the pet acoustics at the first one is I about music. The other one is www.petacoustics.com slash how it works. And again, we'll have those in the show notes for you. So these products could be really helpful for the types of anxiety that could be caused by fireworks, thunderstorms, or potentially going to the vet. So let's try to find reliable, effective solutions for the anxiety that our animals might struggle from instead of just looking at treatments.
0: Yeah. And be very discerning about the products you choose, about the tech gadgets that you choose, about the medicines that you choose, about the supplements that you choose Just be really, really discerning. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again, broken record. That's what we do here. Your animal is an individual Do not blanket coat your animal with something that somebody else's animal did well on. It may work. It may not. So use those questions that we had last week to really figure out what choices to make, especially the one that we discussed. Is this benefiting me or is this benefiting my animal? Mm -hmm. That's an important question to ask. Are you trying to treat separation anxiety anxiety because it makes you feel better so you can get on with your day? Or are you seriously trying to help your animal work through it?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question to be considering.
0: I know this was a big chunk and we got serious and sorry to give you the bad news that our beautiful Maisie is no longer with us, but this is an important conversation. Anxiety is prolific in the animal world because they still, after all these centuries and centuries of living amongst humans, they don't get us. They just don't get us they're trying to adapt, there will always be stress and anxiety. So it's your responsibility as a pet owner, an animal guardian to work with your animal and not just try to fix your animal, that makes any sense. So now that we mm-hmm. got all that serious enough out of the way, I guess we can move on to the second point. <laughs> but, I, you know, it's, it, it's conversation that needed to be had. I think.
1: I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good that people are recognizing that anxiety is a challenge for their pets. Now we just need to understand the best way to respond to it. So our second trend that we're going to talk about is that more people are seeking pet businesses, services, tools, and products that are more earth friendly. So a resource you can check out about this is you can go to wwwdailypausecom slash living with pets slash pet friendly home slash ways to be eco-friendly
0: that's a long way we're gonna have that in the it show is- notes
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any website that we give you we're gonna have in the show notes <laughs> yes we got your back <laughs> so this is probably one that you have not thought about if you are an animal lover and want to support our Earth, but don't currently have a pet and are thinking of getting one, consider adoption over buying. What does this have to do with being Earth friendly? Breeding creates a huge carbon footprint and adds to the already burgeoning population of pets that are struggling to find their forever homes.
0: And we've talked about that many times about the benefits of adopting over buying.
1: Mm-hmm. By adopting, you're giving the animals that are already in the humane shelters and rescue foster homes another chance at life and being loved. The first point is really more about the Earth-friendly thing, but this is just elaborating over why adoption is recommended over buying. It also discourages greatly the problems of backyard breeders and pet mills that prey on both the unwitting consumers as well as the animals that they breed. Big problem. Mm -hmm. And it helps to reduce or eliminate the need to ship animals from further reaching places when there are already animals that are closer by that need homes. So that's another earth-friendly option because now you're not having to fly them in or drive them in from wherever they might be.
0: Yeah. If you want a particular breed, there's probably a rescue or a shelter that has that breed because somebody got one and then decided they didn't want one or Mm. somebody bred them accidentally. There's lots of reasons. But if you're looking for a very specific breed, check out rescues. And a lot of places... If you look for, say, a random dog, that's not a very popular dog, but say an Irish wolfhound. If you did a Google search for Irish wolfhound rescues, you'll probably find one. Mm. So just do your research. And there's probably somebody nearby that has what you're looking for. Yeah. Now, if you do
1: research and you say, find an Irish wolfhound that is, you know, across the country from you or in another country, and
0: that's maybe not very eco-friendly, but
1: (laughs) yeah, even if it's like from an adoption agency, then you might have to rethink. It's like, do I really need to have an Irish wolfhound? Can I settle for some other type of animal that is closer to home that doesn't have to be transported so far? So another way you can be more earth friendly is, consider the question, how can you check if your pet food is more environmentally friendly as well as healthy? These are some of the questions to consider. Where is it coming from? How far is it being shipped? Is it developed and packaged outside of the country that you live in? How is it being produced? Is there going to be a lot of byproducts and stuff like that created as a result of the production? Where are the ingredients coming from and how are they grown? And how is it packaged? Is it packaged in a wasteful way or is it packaged in a way that might be biodegradable or crunches up pretty small once it's done or things like that? What about the products that you use for your pet as well as for cleaning? Consider how safe the ingredients are if your pets actually get it on their skin or ingest it how biodegradable are the ingredients that are in these products again where is the product coming from and how is it packaged also consider if there are any perfumes dyes or oils used to scent the product that's not so much an environmental thing but that's something that you want to consider for your pets internal
0: environment (laughs) yeah right I think we went over some of these questions last week. Yeah. These are just questions that should be instantaneous in your brain. You don't just buy things just to buy things. You want to be conscious about what you're buying. If you're trying to be eco-friendly, you have Mm -hmm. to be conscious. And just so you know, not everything that says on the label, natural product, biodegradable, earth-friendly is. So Mm. ask the questions. Mm -hmm. Multi-billion dollar industry, lots of people trying to get their monies. There's a lot of fraud out there, a lot of scams, a lot of manipulating the market. So be Mm -hmm. really conscious about everything.
1: Mm -hmm. So what about poop bags and cat litter? Do you use biodegradable versions of this? A lot of people use cat litter for their own convenience rather than the benefit of the cat. But we also have to consider, you know, the cat might be okay with it. But then when we go dump it, what happens to it?
0: Yeah. And there are plenty of relatively inexpensive biodegradable cat litters. And there's even compostable doggy bags. So you need it. You want to be environmentally friendly. Do your research and find the one that you can afford that fits your budget. Mm -hmm. And they're not that expensive.
1: Mm -hmm. So we talked about eco-friendly toys last time considering looking for toys that are made with with recyclable material or biodegradable material, or you could consider doing a toy swap like people do with baby clothes in order to help maintain your
0: pet's interest. And don't just follow the trends.
1: Mm -hmm. So what about trying to find an earth-friendly business or service? This could be a little bit more of a challenge trying to determine whether or not they are supporting the earth or not. So whether you're considering a grooming service, a doggy daycare, or a store where you are buying products materials from, some of the questions you can ask yourself is, do they use renewable energy sources? Do they reduce, reuse, and recycle wherever they can? Do they use biodegradable products to create, clean, and ship in terms of packaging? Do they support local and sustainable suppliers? Do they encourage sustainable transportation? So, the shipping of supplies and products that are sold and used, or the transportation of employees. So, maybe they might support using transit or carpooling or cycling or something like that. I mean, obviously, that's not going to be practical in all situations, it's not like you're looking for them to be doing all of these things that we are suggesting you ask about, but just, you know, are they doing any of them, and then just kind of like weighing the different services and who do you choose to support, also, are they implementing energy efficient practices, do they reduce water usage when possible, so fixing leaks as soon as possible, implementing low flow plumbing, avoiding leaving water running, things like that. You know, these can be things that could be difficult to find out because you can ask them, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to answer.
0: (laughs) And we're not saying to do all of it. Right. Even if you can only do a couple of just If you are trying to be eco-friendly, that's a trend that I don't see going away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So where can you find the compromise between benefit to the planet, benefit to your pocketbook, benefit to the animal? Where is that compromise? Where does that fall? Mm -hmm. You can't just sit there and say, "Ah, I'm not going to worry about that stuff because it doesn't matter. It's going to, we're not going to be doing that in the next five years. Well, we're probably doing more of it in the next five years. So, Find your compromise now Mm -hmm. and let's all get on the same page. And if you have to buy some cheap thing over here or cheap food because you're having a financial crisis of your own, then it's only temporary because you already set up what you know to be your ideal. So if that has Mm -hmm. to shift a little bit for some reason or another, you can always come back to it because this trend is not going to go away it's only going to amplify. So keep that in mind.
1: And if you are someone who is wanting to support the earth in some form or another, by making at least some of these choices with the things that you buy, the services that you use and that kind of thing, if you let these businesses know that are making these things and providing these things, that you are interested in this... The more people that are showing this, I don't want to say push, this desired push, it's letting these businesses and services know that this is what their consumers want and that their business might suffer if they don't move in that direction. Of course, the big corporations at this point, are probably still not going to care.
0: No, but I have seen them try to do things like their packaging might be a little bit more environmentally friendly. Possibly. There's going to be a shift. That's what I'm saying. Like this stuff is not going to go away. This particular (laughs) trend is not going to go away. So find your happy medium, find your compromise, and make sure above all else that your animal benefits from it. So that was pretty long. Sorry about that. But it's kind of our way. We like to give you a lot so you can make your own decisions and find where you land in all this. Mm. So if you have any questions, we are always available via email at the Animal Files Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on our socials and you can get all of those over on our website. TheAnimalFilesPodcast.com. And thanks for sticking with us. I know it's been a long episode. In our next episode, we're going to delve into some of the trends in nutrition and tech, as well as the rising trend of humanization. See you in the next one. Bye for now.